The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Look who's back. It's been 12 long days since we did this last because somebody was too good to work last week. I don't know who it was. It wasn't me. I worked last week. You didn't work last week. Actually, the way the schedule worked out, we just weren't able to do it. So I missed you last week. Welcome back. Have you seen Back to the Future? The hell are you talking about? I didn't work last week. When, when did you stop? What day did you not get my text where I was writing, Mike? That what doesn't count. About? That's not work. Oh, oh, that's not work. Oh, that's not work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, talking right. about All this. Right. I'm talking about uh-huh. you got to be on, baby. You got to be on for a full <laughs> hour. There's no breaks. You got to be on. I was, I was prepared to be on. It wasn't my decision to not have shows. I don't know, man. Well, I mean, some people want to break for Thanksgiving. I think that that's fine. I hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving, Mike. How about that? And I did. I did. And I hope you did as well. You went back to Cleveland for the week, which was nice. You were just a few hours away. You still don't visit. You don't call. You don't write. But that's fine, too. I know where I rate. You still haven't answered my question. Have you seen Back to the Future yet? You've had 12 days since the last time we discussed this. I know. I I knew you were going to ask me this. And no, I have not seen Back to the Future. But I'll tell you what. I I was watching uh, the Beatles documentary on the plane to and from, or just from, actually, because it wasn't out when uh, when I was flying to Cleveland. But... Good, great, actually, uh, piece to watch as you're on an airplane in the 30,000 feet up or whatever it was, and you're just sitting there for hours because that thing is hours and hours long. But it is, frankly, an incredible piece of history on one of the best fans ever. So if you have not watched it, you really should get to it. I'm not done with it yet. I'm, I just got past the Billy Preston part in uh, part two, which was awesome. But yeah, I, I, I love that thing. Everybody should watch it. I will watch it when it's on Peacock, like Back to the Future, like <laughs> I us, didn't say what. <laughs> like the entire Office anthology. When it comes to Peacock, then I will watch the Beatles documentary, but I have okay. been watching it. It, it. it really is. It really is weird in a good way. It's so yeah. weird to see four icons just kind of hanging out, eat, right. eating toast, Drinking some strange orange liquid that I can't quite tell. Is it a mimosa? Is it juice? I don't know what it is. Is it just Hawaiian punch, the orange kind? I don't know, but I I really, I have questions that I want to be able to ask them while I'm watching it. There was a great line today. I I just have it on as kind of background noise while I work, because unlike you, I work every day. Um, The line line is this. The line is this. and, and it's somebody not in the band who, who was t- talking about this documentary that's just going on and on and on. They ended up shooting 60 hours. At the moment, we've got a movie about smokers, nose pickers, and nail biters. That was an awesome line. But, but it's also fascinating to see the creative process and how relatively simple it is. Now, you have to have high-end talent to polish that into something. But how it falls together, it's so haphazard. 
it's like a guy walking around with boxes and just bumping into stuff and the box moves. He's like, oh, I like it like that. It's so yes. it's so scary to see how easy it is for people with true talent to make something out of thin air. Yes. Yeah. It's it's funny. I mean, there's that clip that's been floating around on Twitter that I'm, I'm sure that you've seen. And it's in the documentary where, you know, uh, Paul McCartney is just strumming and he's strumming. And then, you know, 45 seconds later, he's got the beginning of Get Back. And it's like, whoa, it, it's crazy to see just how somebody who is that talented can recognize something is good when he just stumbles across it. So, yeah, I, I love how it's about chemistry, working together, partnerships, you know, why things fall apart. It's just, it's a, like I said, it's a fascinating piece on one of the best fans in history. I, I will say this, though, because there's always been that talk about how Yoko Ono broke up the band. And uh, yeah, I, I was never a huge Beatles guy, so I don't know the whole story. But she's around a lot. I mean, yeah. she's like there all the time. And at a certain point, like you're trying to do this creative process and she's like, she's sitting there doing a crossword puzzle. It's right. like, you know, you're either going to participate or just go back to the hotel. But you're just sitting there doing nothing. And, and, and it's, just, it's just weird. <laughs> it's the clingiest girlfriend I've ever seen in my life. I had some clingy girlfriends, Mike. We don't need to talk about that on this show. <laughs> well, and at least Linda Eastman, who became Linda McCartney, was, yes. you know, five feet away from Paul and not there all the time. I mean, right. Yoko Ono is there all the time. If anything, I think the band members exercised incredible restraint. To, and now, I don't know, maybe by the time you get to the end, Paul eventually says to John, <laughs> why is she here all the time? And I, know. I know that's a question I would have if I could actually speak back to the to the screen as I watch it. All right. Some of you may be speaking back to the screen right now saying, when in the F are you actually going to talk about football? Well, that would be right now. And what you need to know on this Wednesday, one day away from the start of week 13, Thursday night game, Cowboys at Saints. Huge game for both teams. Amari Cooper activated after missing the last two games due to COVID-19. He's questionable because he's got a cough. He's not feeling well. You know, he could miss three games as a result of COVID, all because he wasn't vaccinated. I know, and that's going to trigger some people, but I'm sorry. It's the truth. We'll see if he plays tomorrow night. They need him tomorrow night against the New Orleans Saints, Miles. They absolutely do. I, I think we saw what this offense looks like without him and C.D. Lamb and how it's a little bit limited last week when you look at that Cowboys game. And then, of course, you can go back the week before even when they were playing the Chiefs, too, and C.D. Lamb has to go out. And I just feel like when you don't have that target where it's like, yeah, we know who we need to get the ball to on third down, that can limit your offense. The, the Cowboys were 3 of 13 on third down on Thanksgiving. Just having C.D. Lamb back is going to help in that process, but when you have both Lamb and Amari Cooper, presuming, of course, that he plays, that's definitely going to help them out, and it's going to make this game, I think, a lot easier for them offensively. Yeah, that is good news. They're going to have C.D. Lamb back, and Ezekiel Elliott has no injury designation at all. There was talk last week. I think this was a shefty bomb that maybe they'll sit Zeke for a couple of games. That didn't happen. He's good to go with the knee injury. So they're going to be as close to full strength as they've been in a very long time. And they need this one on Thursday night when they take on the Saints. The Saints have lost four in a row, and they are going to try to stop this bleeding by putting Taysom Hill at quarterback. It had been Trevor Simeon since Jameis Winston suffered the torn ACL week eight against the Buccaneers. 
And Taysom Hill had the concussion. He's got the foot problem. Now he's good to go. He's got no injury designation. That means he's good to go on Thursday night as the quarterback. Now that he's got this new contract where his high-end earnings are premised on actually playing quarterback and playing quarterback at a high level, he gets a chance to show what he can do. And last year he was 4-1. and one. As the starting quarterback, it would be nice for him to have Alvin Kamara, who is listed as questionable for tomorrow night's game. He makes that offense go. So we'll see whether or not they can get it done. But this is a high-stakes game because the Cowboys, on one hand, need to turn around this 1-3 and slide that they have been on. The Saints have not lost five in a row since Jim Haslett was the coach in the Katrina year when they were playing all over the place because of the hurricane that hit New Orleans. So very, very big game. It's going to have kind of a mini playoff feel because whoever loses is going to have a hard time. And the Cowboys are in danger, Miles, of not getting in at all. And the Saints are in grave danger of not getting in at all. I don't want to say the loser of this game's done, but the loser of this game is going to have a lot of work to do the final five weeks. Okay, I, I, all right. Like, I, I want to pump the brakes on you and this Cowboys are really in trouble stuff. I heard you say this yesterday yeah. with Shireen. And Th- I, thank you for watching. I, I, yeah, you're welcome. I, I like to support my teammates even when yeah, I'm not working. Yeah, instead of watching Disney Plus, yeah. you watch Netflix too, <laughs> HBO Max, everything but Peacock. I never mentioned another streaming service. That's on you. But I'm Hulu. just saying here. Yeah, okay, great. I, I really don't think that the Cowboys are in that much danger of falling out of the playoff race completely. You got to remember here, they are still, they still have seven wins, right? And they are still a good, probably not great team. I think they're only maybe two great I think great they're trying teams. to pull us off the air. I think they're trying to pull yeah. us off the air well. for mentioning other, other streaming <laughs> services. That's on you. Like I said, I didn't do it so they can pull you off the air. I can still keep talking about football here. But I, I, like I said, I just think that the Cowboys are not in that much danger of falling out of it completely because of the teams that are behind them. I mean, who do you really have confidence in that's going to come up and leap the Cowboys? Is it really the Eagles after what they put out there against the Giants last week? Is it the Giants who have to go up against the surging Miami team this week? Is it Washington? I don't really believe in them either. I'm sorry. I know that they've beaten the Buccaneers and they had a good win last week too, but I can't just say that, you know, just because you beat the Seahawks right now, like that's nothing to me. So I don't feel like the Cowboys are in that much danger. However, New Orleans, yes, right, because they've got all these different teams right now in the NFC, and I think there's going to be kind of a garbage team in the NFC that makes it to the postseason, sort of like we saw with the Bears last year. But because of that, if you lose this game and there are all these mediocre teams around you, it's going to be hard for you to make the playoffs. So, yeah, this is a critical, critical game for the Saints. It's also a big game for the Cowboys, but I don't think it's going to knock them out of it. That garbage team that makes it could be your Los Angeles Rams, frankly, the way they're going now. I mean, that's what's amazing. I'm kidding. But that's what's Uh. amazing about this season. I've mentioned this a few times this week. With this 17th game, it's like an accordion that stretches open, and it feels like there's so much more room for teams to do well and then do poorly, and then we write them off, and then they do well again, and, oh, we're back on board, and then they do poorly, and it's this EKG of ups and downs, and no one is wire-to-wire great, and other than the Lions, no one is wire-to-wire horrible. It's an amazing dynamic now that they've added that extra game. So the Cowboys need a win, and obviously they won't have their head coach, Mike McCarthy. They're missing other coaches. They need a win. They need to avoid falling to one and four over the last five games, and and I'm not ready to say they're – they're not going to make it if they lose, but they do have to worry about Washington. 
I'm just I'm saying I, I said that the I said the loser of this game isn't definitely out, but they're going to be in trouble. And I know they'll still be seven and five, but you got this entire parade of teams. One or two of those teams is going to get hot down the stretch and jump up sure, and take yeah, those yeah. playoff spots. And if Washington steals the division, they still got the Cowboys twice. I'm trying to I'm trying to inject some intrigue into the final weeks of the season. I want everybody to be <laughs> able to make it and everybody be in danger of not making it everybody's still alive that promotes maximum engagement by all fan bases as we get deeper into december i see what happens with the traffic as teams become effectively done true people go pay attention to other things they're done with football they pay attention to other sports i want to keep them locked into football as long as i can sorry that's capitalism in action baby all right uh you mentioned the new york giants they got an unlikely win over the Philadelphia Eagles. They may or may not have Daniel Jones. And the news cycle on Daniel Jones is kind of like the ups and downs of teams this year. It went from being Mike Glennon is expected to start to Daniel Jones is limited in practice with this neck injury that we didn't even know about. Now, we don't know. Let's hear from Daniel Jones about his status for this week when the Giants take on the Dolphins in Miami. Is there a chance, Daniel, to play Sunday? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm going through the week preparing to play and, and, uh, and get myself ready to play, listening to the trainers and doctors, and, and my job is to, to be ready to play, so I'll go through the week like I always do. Hey, you know, if you're going to ask the guy a question when he's got a strained neck, at least stand in front of him so he doesn't have to turn his head. I mean, come on. It's the least you can do. <laughs> so, come on, Mike. Um, <laughs> this is not how these things work, man. Give me a break. It's weird to element see a guy. And, ha- and ask the questions for your content and then see what happens. All right? Okay. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Why would I do that when I could just copy yeah, and paste do- the transcripts? <laughs> like you now do. Um, uh, all right, I've uh, done it, though. I'm just saying. So I got to defend my you know, beat writers over there. You, you've done it and you escaped and they all hate you now because you don't have to do it anymore. That's Probably, how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they didn't yeah, hate you true. before. I mean, they all hate me. I'm used to it. And now that you work okay. with me, they're going to hate you by, by association. Sorry. You, you should have known that when you took the job. So it's kind of hard to feel bad for you now. It's kind of like people feeling bad for Matt LaFleur because he got duped into going over to Brian Kelly's house when he was an assistant at Central Michigan to go to a party and he ended up shoveling snow and parking cars. Well, then he took a job with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. So, I mean, come on. You know who the guy is. So it's kind of on you at that point, just like it's on you for doing business with me. All right. Um, Jalen Hurts, the other quarterback in that game uh, between the Eagles and the Giants, got banged up. He says he is ready to go for Sunday. Limited practice for Jalen Hurts today, he's got an ankle injury. And, you know, the Eagles went from, and I think we're going to see this, where teams start making us think, hmm, maybe they got something here. All it takes is one bad game, and they get smacked down again, and they got to start building up. And that's kind of where the Eagles are. Just as I was starting to believe in them, they get smacked down. They need Jalen Hurts if they want to try to dig out of it. Yes, they do. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to throw the Jalen Hurts sound there. I don't know why. No, there's no sound. Uh, No, there's uh, no no sound. But that's good. (laughs) That's a pro move. (laughs) Laid out at the right time, just in case. I like it. I like it, but no. Yeah, this is what happens when I've had a week off, I guess. Yeah, you say I didn't work. No, you're you're right, though, Mike. I, I think that this is one of the problems with the good but kind of not great teams, right, or the average teams. This is exactly what I believe the Eagles are. It's one team that can kind of beat the teams that are worse than them, but also once they start playing these 
other team. Like you, you could lose any week. And whenever you have Jalen Hurts throwing probably, let's call it more than 25 times, that's going to be bad news bears for them based on the way that their offense has to go through him by running the football, right? They, they, when they run the football well, then they're going to be able to win. But if Jalen Hurts has to throw the ball all around the field, kind of like he did last week, even though he had all those interceptions, he still probably should have won that game because that pass was on target to Jalen Rigger at the end there. So I, I don't really believe that much in the Eagles other than like, yeah, they could end up with the seven seed in the NFC because one of those teams has to be in the postseason, which I don't love. They've got the Jets on the road this weekend, back-to-back games mm-hmm. at MetLife Stadium for the Philadelphia Eagles as they try to get back on track and move to five and seven. The Bears, I mean, they're still technically alive at four and seven. Justin Fields will practice. Andy Dalton will work with the starters as they get ready for their next game. We've got them next Sunday night against the Packers on NBC. They host the nine and two Cardinals coming up this week. And so kind of a difficult stretch the next two weeks for the Bears And just because they somehow managed to overcome a week's worth of distractions, and it was a short week's worth of distractions last week, and beat the Lions, that doesn't really tell us anything about where the Bears currently are. They're going to be hard-pressed to beat a Cardinals team that's likely to have Kyler Murray back, that's had a week off in between games. And, you know, the the Bears have to be wondering who they pissed off at 345 Park Avenue. They get the Cardinals and the Packers back-to-back weeks, both teams coming off of their buys. Not that anyone needs extra time to get ready to play the Bears, but if you're the Bears, you got to be saying, what in the world? And then they're going to have the Vikings on a Monday night after the Vikings play on Thursday, so they're going to have extra time before the next game. Yeah, that's probably not that fair if you're talking about the Chicago Bears. And, hey, the Bears were a playoff team last year, so why couldn't they get a little bit of a, you know home schedule cooking or whatever we want to call it? But, yeah, I, look, it's funny because I think we've probably talked about You've probably talked about this over the course of the week, right, where, you know, Justin Fields, it, it, it says that, oh, you know, the X-rays are negative, but then it ends up he's got the cracked ribs, and it just seems like that's happened every single time we hear about somebody with a rib injury this year. So, If they have Andy Dalton, I mean, he can at least effectively pilot the offense. I don't really expect too much from them, especially considering that the Cardinals are getting their top players back this week. Um, But, you know, I I don't know, man. Like, I would love to be able to see Justin Fields go against Kyler Murray, but I'm sure we will see that at some point in the future. And I really do think Justin Fields has the potential to be the best of this year's five first-round quarterbacks. All due respect to Mac Jones, who's currently the betting favorite to be the offensive rookie of the year. I like what I've seen from Justin Fields as he's gotten a chance to kind of develop and play. And if he had been the guy from the get-go, maybe he'd be a lot farther along right now. Of course, obviously, he had to miss a game because he had the rib issue. And uh, I I just want to see him play and develop more. And the Bears are going to have some tough decisions to make when this season ends because you want to have some continuity for your young quarterback. You don't want to have a new coaching staff and maybe a new general manager and maybe a new team president because there's no guarantee those new people are going to believe in you the way that the last regime did. And it can really screw up a guy's development with all this new stuff coming in and swirling around him. I remember how much it left Peyton Manning out of sorts and he was happy to leave Indianapolis when coach is gone, GM's gone, everybody that he knows is gone, all these players are gone, and you're the last guy there. Now, he had been there a lot longer, but Justin Fields didn't want to go through that in his first year in the NFL, and and hopefully it won't come to that for the Chicago Bears. You mentioned the Cardinals. 
Kyler Murray back. DeAndre Hopkins has missed time. He is practicing on Wednesday for the Cardinals. This is big for a team that, that weathered the storm, went 2-1 and one without Kyler Murray. Colt McCoy went 2-1. and one. The only loss was that, in hindsight, what the hell happened against the Panthers, given the way they've played since then. But uh, they, you know, good teams have to have that backup that can come in and get a win or two because that can be the difference between the one seed and the two, three, or four seed. That was huge for the Cardinals, and now they, they see if they can continue on that trajectory. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think you got to credit Colt McCoy. I mean, this is somebody who's been in the league for so long, and, you know, in this orange helmet behind me, that's where he started his career. And so now you, you see that he really still can be the kind of quality backup that any contending team needs just to do exactly what you said, Mike. When you can come in there, pilot the offense, keep everybody calm, make sure things stay in rhythm. And I think you got to give him a little bit more credit because he did it without DeAndre Hopkins. So Hopkins got on the field to practice today. It's the first time he's been on the field to practice. I believe I read since October the 22nd. That was before they played the Texans. That was, again, before the final game he played um, there in Week 8 on Thursday night against the Green Bay Packers. But he was still only on the field there for 15 snaps with that hamstring injury. So, listen, I think if they have Kyler Murray back healthy, if they have DeAndre Hopkins back healthy, the Cardinals are pretty clearly the best team in football. All right, And they have been throughout the entire season. And I, I really feel like there's only about, like, four elite teams that we can talk about right now. And I think two of them are in the NFC and the Cardinals and the Packers and the AFC right now, I would say it's probably the Titans. And then also uh, the, the Patriots based on the way that they've been playing in the last few weeks. And I wouldn't say Baltimore. I know they're the number one seed right now, but just based on the way Lamar Jackson's playing, I don't know what that's going to mean when they get to the postseason. But like I said, the Cardinals right now are the best team in football. They're getting their two best players back and they have a stretch run where they control uh, their own outcome. I don't like to say controlling your own destiny because destiny can't be controlled, right? So they control their own outcome. If they went out, they're the number one seed. I think they can do it. The word destiny, part of a very funny moment in Back to the Future, if you ever do oh. indeed watch that movie. Uh, <laughs> the Bears, the Rams, the Lions, the Colts, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks are the final six for the Cardinals. And I'm looking at that Week 17 game at Dallas. Arizona at Dallas is always a big deal. Last year they played on a Monday night. The Cardinals destroyed them. And that night is supposed to be Vikings at Packers. If there's a fork in the Vikings by Week 17, you know, and again, these are decisions made well above my pay grade, that would be a great Sunday night game if Ooh, yeah. uh, the NFL decides to move it into prime time. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And you mentioned Colt McCoy. I just got to say one thing because last week in the Raiders-Cowboys game, there was a question about Michael Parsons, the hit on Derek Carr, who was out of the pocket, falling down, the forcible blow to the head-neck area, still roughing the passer, even when the quarterback is running toward the line of scrimmage and has abandoned the pocket. Once he crosses, blow to the head or neck area is fine. Until he crosses, it's not. And that was a controversial moment because he fell into Micah Parsons, who hit him with the wrist forearm in the head. But it caused me to look up the hit that Colt McCoy took oh. on a Thursday night in 2011. And oh, that yeah. thing would be illegal for about 50 different reasons now. But good God, Colt McCoy was running to the line of scrimmage. He's still protected against the forcible blow to the head or neck area. He took one of the most forcible blows to the head and neck area that I have ever seen from James Harrison. And that was 
not just roughing the passer. It was a violation of the rule now where you can't put your helmet down and initiate contact with an opponent. That thing is so brutal. And it's an indication of how far the game has come in a decade. Because you would never see that now. And if you would, the guy would be suspended four games. Well, not only that, Colt McCoy came back into that game. You want me to age you right here, Mike? I was sitting in my dorm room watching that Thursday night game back in 2011. Would that I'll have been never forget it. Yes, it would have been at Columbia. Thank you right, very much for checking. mentioning my, uh, my school there. Yeah, you're right, exactly. You're like my friend Nick who always does this to me. Anyway, yes, I was in my dorm room. I was watching that game, and I will never forget him not just getting blasted like that, but also coming back into the game when everybody in their brother and mother and cousin from another mother like knew that that guy needed to be checked out for a concussion. It was crazy. And there was some sort of controversy after that for the Browns and, like, how in the world did they miss that? And I think that's part of why there became that, you know, independent medical examiner where they could buzz down and stop it because there is no way that Colt McCoy should have been able to continue playing in that game after that hit by Harrison. That was a key step on the road to this multiple and dramatic types of changes we've seen in the NFL over the past 12 years. It all started when Roger Goodell and Demora Smith were called to Capitol Hill in October of 2009. That was the moment where they realized we got to make some real changes or they're going to make the changes for us and we're not going to like the changes they make. But it was all, you know, it was a combination of taking some of the brutality out of the game or a lot of the brutality out of the game, but also being sensitive to when you flag a guy as not being okay to get back in the game. And John Madden was a big proponent of that. His, he, he would go much farther than what they currently do. If there's any doubt whatsoever, you don't put him back in the game. I think the NFL's concern is the last thing they want to do is take a guy out of the game who's prevented from playing who's fine. And it turns out he's fine. And that's the push and pull. That's the tension with taking the time to give the guy a proper concussion evaluation because if you determine he's fine, he's missed all this time. But I remember when Colt McCoy's dad spoke out after that, and there was kind of a sense that dad was being out of line. Get the hell out of here with that. Dad's protecting his son from a situation where, and this is how people suffer serious injury or death. If they have a brain injury and they go back and have another brain injury, well, there's a fresh brain injury that hasn't been diagnosed yet. Absolutely. No, I remember that too. And, you know, we can talk about you know, dads making YouTube videos and this and that. And I think that's a little bit of a different discussion than what we're talking about right now, which is really clearly health and safety. And so, yeah, I, I remember that too. And it was just one of those situations where it was very clear to everybody who was watching the game that something more should have happened there to protect Colt McCoy from himself. Because look, Players are players. They want to be out there. They want to be in the game. They're going to tell you they can play even when they maybe know in the back of their mind that they cannot. So it's up to other people who are independent, who have the wherewithal to understand what's going on, to say, no, you need to go out and get checked. And I understand the tension of not wanting to really upset the competitive balance, if we want to call it that, of, hey, if there's a player who's fine, we don't necessarily want to take them out just for a precautionary reason when it's clear that they can play, right? And so I get that there's that push and pull there, but I, I also agree that we need to make sure we're on the forefront of player health and safety as much as we possibly can be. And so I think the changes that have been made have been positive in that regard. 
And I just happened to find a story from May of 2012 where we wrote that after McCoy suffered an obvious to everyone but the Browns concussion during a Thursday night game against the Steelers in December 2011, McCoy's father Brad called out the Browns for failing to keep Colt out of the game. At the time, I feared the Browns would hold those comments against Colt. According to Tony Grossi, they have. Grossi reports that McCoy's fate as former starter was sealed when Brad McCoy sounded off. It's amazing to think that that was a factor, that a dad speaking out when the system failed his son and put him back in the game. Again, it's another piece of evidence of how far the game has come because if that happened now, there would be hell to pay on a lot of different fronts by the team that would take some sort of action against a player because their dad spoke out on a matter of safety. Oh, no doubt about it, Mike. I mean, well, it also speaks to the incompetence of the Browns franchise back then. I mean, you know, you got to think about who was running that thing then. And it was not the group that's in there now. It's probably, what, like four or five regimes ago. That was still Mike Holmgren running things um, back then. So I don't know, man. I'm, I'm glad the Browns are in a better place now. And I don't think Jimmy Haslam had even owned the team um, when that hit happened. You're on right. Paul McCoy. You're right. He didn't had, take over no, it was until, still Randy Lerner. Yeah, it was still Lerner. Yeah. So he didn't yeah. take over until 2012. So it's a, it's a totally different franchise now. And they have the people in place to actually be competent and, you know, feel the winning team that, you know, made the playoffs last year and won a playoff game without its head coach, even if things are, you know, the way they are right now. <laughs> Unless you think that Brad McCoy said something that was out of line or over the top or played a video of, you know, a teammate failing Colt McCoy multiple times. All he said was he never should have gone back in the game. He was basically out cold. You could tell by the rigidity of his body as he laid there. There were a lot of easy symptoms that should have told him he had a concussion. He was nauseated and didn't know who he was. From what I could see, they didn't test him for a concussion. They just looked at his left hand. I, it's, it's amazing. Right. It's amazing. That's all he said. And that was enough to get the Browns regime at that time to hold it against Colt McCoy and make him not the starting quarterback. And I'm not saying that to dump on Mike Holmgren, Randy Lerner, or anyone who was with the Browns at the time. I pointed out for one very important reason, to show how far we've come in 10 relatively short years. Yeah, and it really is. It's, it's been a long, long progression. And I think that, like I said, I mean, it's not perfect now. I don't think anybody thinks it's perfect because it's not. And there's sort of an inherent brain injury risk whenever you're playing football. And so that's why they've done things like take out, uh, you know, the running start with the kickoffs and take out wedge blocks and all these different things because so many concussions have been suffered on those types of plays. So like I said, it's not perfect but it is better and I think that we shouldn't let perfect be the enemy of better sometimes you know I think that they when you ever you can say that progress has been made it's not always the best thing but it's at least a positive thing um we pivot now very quickly to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who need Antonio Brown back on the field he is an underrated key cog in the offense There was some reporting last week that maybe he'd be ready to go this week. Now the same reporter is saying he's going to miss at least the next two games. It's an ankle. It's a heel. Bruce Arians, the coach of the Buccaneers, said that Brown is doubtful to play this week. They've got Mike Evans. They've got Chris Godwin. They've got Gronk back. That helps. But they go to another level when Antonio Brown is out there, and they need him out there. And obviously they need him to be healthy for the stretch run in the postseason if that can happen, Miles. 
Oh, for sure. And look, I mean, the, the Bucks, I think, are one of those teams that are very good, but not quite great. And I think we can say that based on the way they've lost a couple games, you know, and also the way they played against the Colts, who I also kind of think are a good but not great team. You know, those teams seemed pretty evenly matched there. And then you get, you know, Leonard Fournette, you know, bowling through the defense to get that last touchdown um, to win it the other day. So if you have Antonio Brown, I think it unlocks another piece of that offense. And Tom Brady's playing pretty darn well this season, especially given how old he is. Right, he's got 30 touchdowns right now, and that's not – it's not nothing. It's certainly nothing to sneeze at. I think Gronkowski coming back obviously helps their offense too. But even though they got Scotty Miller back last week, I and mean, he drew – uh, either at least one or two defensive pass interference penalties and gives them that element of speed. I think the precision in the route running and the chemistry between Antonio Brown and Tom Brady is something that that offense has not had since he's been out. And it's something that can really take them to the next level of probably being one of those great teams that can really contend for the NFC title. It shows you why Tom Brady wanted Antonio Brown so badly. That brief period of time that they were together in New England Brady recognized this is a guy that I can develop the right chemistry with and we can do great things together. Oh, and they already have. They won a Super Bowl last year. And Brown, even though he joined late, he became a key part of that push to the postseason and to Super Bowl 55. Let's go ahead and take a break. We've got more news from around the NFL. We'll focus on one of the great rivalries between the Steelers and the Ravens and also some news about your quarterback, Miles Baker Mayfield. We'll discuss that next. You know what? Someone once said, games like this are like bubble gum. You chew them for a little bit and you spit them out. Uh, that's kind of what it's doing, so I'm moving on. I, I, don't, I have no comments about last week because it's got bubble gum that's been spit out. Uh, look, I, I, whatever cliche you need to use to get past that stinker that they had in Cincinnati, I'm still stunned by the performance. I think Joe Burrow was a little stunned by the performance when I talked to him after the game. Like, you know, you kind of expect a little bit more out of the Steelers when they've lost one, they've tied one, they're going to Cincinnati to play a division rival that's already beaten them once or trying to turn around. Just they didn't have any punch. And they better have some punch this weekend when the Ravens come to town. This is the first time the Ravens are favored to beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh when Ben Roethlisberger is playing since Roethlisberger arrived in 2004. And I hope Mike Tomlin, whatever he's been saying and doing, I hope he's kind of pushing some buttons, Miles, to try to get his guys to respond because they're getting down to their last few chances. They got a tough schedule down the stretch. They need to reestablish themselves quickly. Absolutely. No, and I kind of like what Mike Tomlin said, kind of better than the sort of ABC gum thing that Ben Roethlisberger was talking about, where he's like, you know, we got to, we can't just get rid of the stench. We got to wallow in our stink, you know, in order to really get through this. And then it won't go away until we probably play against Baltimore this weekend. So it is interesting the way that things have started to turn sour for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you didn't have Ben Roethlisberger in that tie game against the Detroit Lions. And, you know, even though they came back in that game and made it a really interesting and fun game against the Los Angeles Chargers out here a couple weeks ago, I mean, you see what they did last week against Cincinnati, and you're just looking at it like, what is going on here, man? So I think that they will get back on the, on the horse, you know? I think that this is going to be one of those classic division rivalry games that we've seen so many times before between Baltimore and Pittsburgh, but they better make sure that they're ready because if not, this is going to be one of those things where a lot of things are going to be questioned in Pittsburgh real soon. 
And when you look at this schedule, they have the tough physical game that undoubtedly is coming late afternoon, not a 1 o'clock start, a late afternoon game against Baltimore. And then they play the Vikings on Thursday night. They've got the Titans, Chiefs, Browns, and Ravens again. It's a tough final six games for a team that is currently 5-5-1. And And Mike Tomlin has never been below 500 in his entire career. Lamar Jackson, the quarterback of the Ravens, who had a very difficult game on Sunday night against the Browns, but they still won. Here's Lamar Jackson from earlier today discussing his performance and admitting that it left a lot to be desired. Uh, bad passes, uh, inaccurate, um, underthrown passes. That's all I've seen now. Bad reads. I look like a rookie. Yesterday I watched film, watched the game, and like I said, it was, it was a horrible game. And, you know, start when I get back out here and practice and give my guys, get my chemistry back and just hit the ground running like I'm supposed to. He's got the right attitude. He's not making any excuses. He's not blaming it on anybody else. It's on him. He knows he can play better. And as I've been saying all week, the hallmark of a great team is a team that can still win when the quarterback plays as badly as Lamar Jackson played on Sunday night. Absolutely it is. It's one of those things they call it culture wins, right? You know, it's my, my friend from Cleveland, Andre Knott's been saying that kind of thing about the Ravens. It's something that they just seem to keep doing, right? When they win against the Chicago Bears, that's something that you call it's a culture win because they just have this belief and this confidence that no matter what the situation is, they can go out and continue to get it done. So what I really liked about what Lamar Jackson did in the aftermath of that game is he stood up and he said, man, I am so thankful for my teammates for everybody who's around me for helping pick me up in that game because I played so poorly, right? I mean, when you have four interceptions in a game, it's something that he'd never done before. It was the first time he'd ever, as a starter, had a passer rating under 50. That's not good, right? You have four, I mean, the Browns weren't able to do anything off of any of those interceptions, so he's trying to credit those teammates that he had around him for being able to pick him up and lift that team up. And that's why the Ravens are still a contender, But like I said, when you keep turning the ball over like that, I'm not sure if they're quite a great team right now because of their quarterback play. And, you know, I don't know if people have, you know, quote unquote, figured out Lamar Jackson and now they know how they're going to be able to stop him and everything and he can't do anything. I don't really think that's the case. I think Lamar Jackson is able is going to be able to play himself through this. But we now have seen for a few weeks, he's just not really playing very well. And so he's got to get back to playing like an MVP. And if he starts doing that, then yeah, the Ravens could go as far as he takes them. Well, and one of the realities as it relates to the aftermath of the game that we saw, I'm looking to see what week it was, was week 10. After that, we saw them beat the Bears without him. So this was his first game. about the Miami game. Since- yes. We're talking about the Miami game. This is the first game since week 10 at Miami that he played in. And I can't help but wonder, after being constantly swarmed by safety blitzes, if the clock in his head didn't tick faster and get him to get rid of the ball and make his decisions faster than he needed to. That was one of the issues with Eli Manning later in his career, and that's something that Sims spotted, that Eli Manning was rushing to make decisions to get rid of the football because he was so mentally hampered by constantly getting hit. So what happens is you assume you have less time than you do. So instead of blitzing, they're staying back, and you're still scarred by what happened on that Thursday night the last time we saw him play and uh it's enough to get him to throw the ball before 
his receivers fully open before he has a window that he should try to thread it through. And, and that may be an issue uh, in what we saw, and that may be one of the things they need to try to fix because we saw a blueprint, and maybe what the Browns did is they, they went the other way because they knew maybe he's going to push and press and try to get rid of the football sooner than he needs to, and we'll just have extra guys back there to try to catch it. Yeah, well, and, and it, honestly, it worked out for the Browns in that way. I don't think that we can say the Browns' defense is really the problem with what's going on there right now, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Baker Mayfield in a second. So it's interesting. To, it's going to be interesting to see the way the Pittsburgh Steelers approach Lamar Jackson. They obviously have as much familiarity with defending him as any team in the league because they're in that AFC North together. So, look, they may or may not have T.J. Watt, probably not given just the circumstances of what happens when you test positive for COVID. And that's that's really going to hurt them in terms of trying to defend him when you're trying to get after and create pressure and make that clock in Lamar Jackson's head go off a little bit sooner. But I just still feel like it's going to be a physical game. We all know that these two teams, when they get together, that's exactly what happens. They know uh, the Steelers know Villanueva, that tackle, as well as anybody else as well. So they know how they can go and attack him. So we're going to see if Lamar Jackson can start pulling himself out of this. But I think at least he does have the right attitude about it. And, you know, when we listen to what he's saying, he's like you said, he's not making excuses. He's taking that accountability and he's saying, hey, I have to do better for my team. Um, Absolutely, he does. And so does Baker Mayfield. They're not playing this week in Cleveland, but Andrew Barry, the GM of the team, spoke to reporters today. Here's what Andrew Barry had to say about the Browns expectations for a quarterback who is inching toward a big decision as to his next contract. Yeah, you know, I think we all know that 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 Baker is incredibly, um, you know, incredibly physically tough. Yeah, you know, I think he'll, you know, he's told you guys, you know, at moments of the year where he's been frustrated with this, you know, with his with his own performance. You know, that being said, you know, he has had had stretches, um, you know, this year where you know he has played has played well for us. Um, and look, you know, the reality is like he's he's worked through injuries, no different than you know other players on our roster. Um, you know, but I know you know he expects of himself, and we expect you know, him, um, you know, whenever he's on the field to perform at a, at a capably, you know, capable level at a winning level. Um, and, and we expect him to play his best football down the stretch here after the bye. And the or else was not spoken. The or else was implied. I mean, look, we know the circumstances. He's entering right. his fifth year option next year. Fans and my niece, Maggie, is the, the perfect Browns fan for me to just kind of get the sense of what the average Browns fan thinks because she's zealous, but she's not hardcore. Like, she doesn't understand what the franchise tag is. She didn't know what his contract status is. She's just over Baker. She's over Baker. And there's a lot of fans that are over Baker. And as I've said in the not-too-distant past, especially last week when he was making the snarky remarks about the fans who were booing him, you need those people on your side because they become a factor in whether or not somebody gets paid because at the end of the day, it's a business, and they need the customers to want to show up and see what they're putting on the field. And if they love the quarterback, that makes it more likely they pay the quarterback. And if they've gotten lukewarm or just don't like the quarterback – Well, that makes it easier for the Browns to go in a different direction, and that is a very real dynamic in the decision-making process that the Browns are going to be looking at, Miles. I'm sure it is. And look, I mean, I think that there's still a a zealot 
part of the fan base that, you know, are just Baker bros and whatever happens in Cleveland, they're just going to be on Baker Mayfield's side. But, you know, speaking of me not working last week, I didn't get a chance to talk about what Baker Mayfield did after that 13 to 10 victory over the Lions that they had. And basically all the things I was just praising Lamar Jackson for, I could say the exact opposite about what Baker Mayfield did last week. It was childish. It was ridiculous. And it was not providing uh it wasn't following your obligations right if you're the quarterback you speak after the game to the media you don't need to go off and make snarky remarks about fans doing this and you don't need to be accountable to the media and this and that and the third it's your obligation and so i think that those are also things where if you're looking at it and you're the browns you start to say hmm is this really the guy that we know can be counted on to be the face of our franchise and be mature in all of these situations? Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying that Baker Mayfield is all immature all the time. I don't think that. I really don't. And I think that his teammates have definitely gravitated toward him. And there's something, there's this innate fire that he has where when he gets PO'd, he tends to start playing better. He's been playing through injuries. I think Andrew Berry, you know, alluded to that. And he's not simply the only problem with the Browns offense. I mean, they've had two games since week three where they've scored over 40 points when they play the Chargers, when they beat the Bengals a couple weeks ago. But other than that, Mike, they've scored 14, 14, 17, 10, 7, 13, and 10 points. That's not just a Baker Mayfield problem. Kevin Stefanski was coach of the year yeah, last year. It's on him, too. You know, I'm going to use a word that that I don't think gets used nearly enough, and maybe it's because there aren't many NFL players who fit this category. There's a petulance to Baker Mayfield. There really is. And and, and it's off-putting to the average person. And you mentioned, like, there may be these Baker bros who are all in. This isn't like Tuanon, where there is this group of all-in, over-the-top, JFK Jr. waiting you know, fans that You've just been Tua. You've never used Tua with me before. It's always just been Tua Mafia. I love Tua Nod. That's hilarious. But there is no Baker equivalent. That's the thing. No. To be polarizing, you, you've got to have two poles. For Baker, it's either people are ambivalent or they're saying, get this guy the hell out of here. That's not the way to get the money that he's going to think he deserves. And that's why I continue to joke about Russell Wilson to the Browns, although the Browns may want to think twice about that after the way (laughs) Russell Wilson's played lately, frankly. Baker Mayfield just feels like he's going to end up with the Lions because it feels like that petulance is exactly what Chris Spielman and company are looking for. And I think one of the things that we've overlooked in Detroit, Chris Spielman's got a lot more juice and influence Hmm. with Sheila Ford Hamp than we realize. Because I think Dan Campbell was Spielman's guy. And I think this offseason they're going to be looking for Spielman guys at every position. And here's a surprise for you. Jared Goff, not a Spielman guy. Let's take a break. Uh, Adrian Peterson, a Seahawks guy. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. Drive-by on Goff. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Seattle Seahawks are 3-8. and eight. They 
cannot buy a win. Their offense was putrid. Five straight three and outs on Monday night. They had five straight three and outs in week four, a game they actually won against the 49ers. No other team in the NFL has five straight three and outs in any game. So it's Seahawks two, 31 other teams combined, zero. They're trying to address the situation by signing Adrian Peterson to the practice squad, said Pete Carroll. We didn't get him back in the day, but like I just told him, we finally got him. Hey, look, I'm an Adrian Peterson guy, but I think that 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 move is a metaphor for where the Seahawks currently are, Miles. Yeah, with a white flag. And, hey, let's just play out the string and see what we can do. I mean, you talk about, you know, two uh, things of five three and outs in the same game. My goodness. That's like the Columbia 0-10 football team I covered back in 2013. That is some terrible, terrible offensive football. And it's, it's stunning to me that the Seahawks are actually just bad but I think I tweeted it after the Monday night game. It's just, I got to accept it. The Seahawks stink. We've seen greatness for 10 straight years. It's hard to process. Yeah. Just like it was hard to process, frankly, the Browns and the Bengals becoming good. It's yes. hard to process the Seahawks <laughs> becoming bad. We're just not used to it. All right, let's take a break. we got some questions in the PFTPM mailbag. We will bust it open and answer the best ones when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM concludes right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. All right, let's get right to it. Rag Tugar has this question. Who do you think should be the offensive rookie of the year? Mac Jones of the Patriots or Jamar Chase of the Bengals? Right now, Mac Jones is the clear betting favorite, and it's down to those two. Everybody else is a long shot based on the points bet odds. Miles, who do you think it will be, Mac Jones or Jamar Chase? I think it's definitely going to be Mac Jones. I mean, if there's any rookie quarterback that does well, that basically is who the award goes to. Now, a couple of years ago when Kyler Murray won it, I argued that A.J. Brown should have been rookie of the year because he really helped the Titans reach the postseason. But by that same token, now you're watching Mac Jones really pilot this Patriots offense in a way that's going to help them not just reach the postseason, but has them in position to potentially be the number one seed. And if any rookie quarterback can do that, yeah, they're going to earn rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to get MVP consideration if he's the quarterback of the team that has the number one seed in the AFC. However, I'm thinking that unless Patrick Mahomes has a strong finishing kick and the Chiefs are the one seed, the MVP is going to be the top seed from the NFC, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, possibly Tom Brady, who's the betting favorite right now. So I think it's going to be Mac Jones. The other thing, too, is Jamar Chase's production is down because they're taking him away. And as Joe Burrow told me on Sunday, he's taking what the defense gives him. So he's not forcing the ball to Chase. So he's not getting the kind of numbers that would make him the rookie of the year. A red zone out. If Green Bay wins the Super Bowl, could they go ahead and trade Aaron Rodgers anyway? What do you think, Miles? Ah, man. I am starting to think that Green Bay is going to try their damnedest to make sure that Aaron Rodgers is still their quarterback next year. And it's kind of weird because 
especially given all of the different circumstances that have happened. I, I, I think before the season, it was like, all right, well, this is Aaron Rodgers' last dance, da 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 da. But now we've seen what Jordan Love can do. And I don't know about you, Mike, I really wasn't impressed with anything he did against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? At least you could kind of see some traits with Trey Lance when he was out there against the Cardinals in that one start he had. I don't know how you could have any confidence about Jordan Love going into it next year. I just kind of feel like the Packers might work this out somehow with Aaron Rodgers. Drew Brees made a great point based on the day that Jordan Love played that being a backup to Aaron Rodgers results in the backups having horrible habits because they Mm -hmm. see Rodgers throwing off the back foot, off balance, and the mechanics go out the window. The fundamentals are gone for the Jordan Love. So he tries to do it, but he can't. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He may become Aaron Rodgers, but he can't do it at this point. Um, Yeah, look, I I think it's going to be very difficult for Rodgers to leave or for the Packers to move on if they would win the Super Bowl. He wanted out. He thought he was going to be out. But, you know, getting to a Super Bowl and winning, it creates a good vibe. And so maybe he does stay for one more year. Uh, Another question from Athera. I don't know. Art, I don't know what. I can't. You're having a tough time with these names, man. What's going on? The art. I don't know. The question is this. Should Elijah Mitchell be the offensive rookie of the year over Najee Harris? I mean, it's not going to come down to those two. It's going to go to Mac Jones. So it's not a year. There's no running back that's having such a great season, Miles, that they're going to get any votes. No, I think what was the last rookie of the offensive rookie of the year that was a running back was that Todd Gurley was there. Did Saquon Barkley win it? It must have been Saquon Barkley, actually. Saquon Barkley won it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, it's unless you're having that kind of year where it's just simply so outstanding and there's no good QB as a candidate, it ain't going to happen. By the way, this takes us all the way back to the morning when we came on the air. It's National Eat a Red Apple Day. We had an extended apple discussion. Ugh. Tweets by Donovan says, Honeycrisp better than all other apples. You don't like apples? How do you like them apples? Granny Smith apples. Granny Smith. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.